Cutting for Sign with Ron Cecil and Daniel Pinterklein. The bad white men call him the devil. The Yavapai call him eyes like the sky. Brandon Perkins, you are the co-host of the podcast High Church, in which you and guests explore healthier, more meaningful, and helpful ways to practice true being. It is a platform upon which you integrate pieces of your journey and find ancient yet fresh ways to express the spiritual, mystical, and experiential. Experiential, maybe. You believe that that church can be, you could be that, the, you, let me start over. Sorry about that. <laughs> Here we go. You're good. Experiential. Yeah, yeah. Experiential. Experiential. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Okay. <clears throat> Brandon Perkins, you are the co-host of the podcast High Church, in which you and guests explore healthier, more meaningful, and helpful ways to practice true being. It is a platform upon which you integrate pieces of your journey and find ancient, yet fresh ways to express the spiritual, mystical, and experiential. <laughs> <laughs> you believe that church can be the ever-present community of being that we can meet with in any space. The high in your version of the term high church represents the search to uncover that which is truest in our innermost being. Welcome, Brandon Perkins. All right. <laughs> I love it. I almost feel like the Here we experiential go. could experiential experiential here we are let's have an experiential together guys (laughs) it's like you're an expert but you're also kind of like you're an expiring expert (laughs) you're just experiential my uh i've got a small problem with um putting the the wrong syllables the wrong emphasis (laughs) facets and syllables one of the most charming parts of your personality actually (laughs) you just put them in the wrong place wherever i just regularly all over the place regularly all the time although uh, until hmm. recently i thought it was patriarchal and <laughs> dude i did too for the longest time no joke i corrected you really too, like kind of cockily a couple of podcasts ago <laughs> <laughs> we should go back and find that it, it, what it, is the correct pronunciation patri- patriarchal patriarchal yeah yeah, I thought it was patriarchal. Pickle, yeah, no, yeah. yeah. It probably could be because of. The I don't. I don't think it is. One yeah. of the uh, gemstones in the asshole hat that I wear. Is, <laughs> well, welcome to that. the cutting for sign of the high church <laughs> guide to reading well. Mashup. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's actually been one thing that I I'm like really interested in talking about with people these days is. Is just there's so much verbiage, uh, things, language is changing so verbiage. quickly. <laughs> it's, uh, things are changing so fast, uh, you know, and 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 those words are charged. You know, that's a perfect storm yeah. for things to really be an intensely flammable. Um, and uh, I, although I, I, I personally don't know how you all feel, but diving into that morass and and learning the subtleties of it and jumping in on the waves of these different terms changing i'm I'm down i'm really interested in it yeah i'm, I'm sorry i'm like thinking of all the things i used to say like in high school in the 90s that that as so the, confidently so, yeah so confidently <laughs> you got an example of one of those things i'm sure you guys could guess <laughs> this guy coming from the guy who believes he had invented the term hipster 
I did. Oh, I, yeah, did. I did listen to that episode. That's I did. I did think I invented the term. And you have a pretty damn good reason for it. Like, it sounds like you came up with it on your own. I mean, it's probably like one of those tipping point things, right? Like where it like it hits the world, <laughs> probably from some movie that I saw. I didn't realize it was from that or something. Or Although if you go back and listen to that part, it was also violence against hipsters. Die skinny hipsters. <laughs> Well, not cool. It's not that big. Funny though is just to kind of build off of your your point is that that word hipster too is like shape shifted and means something totally different probably than when you founded it. And I also know that it was used in the fifties, right? Like what? Right. You know, it's been around a long ass time. Right. Yeah. There's a, a interesting meme or something cartoon that shows the evolution of the hippie. And it starts out with a cave hmm. cave person. <laughs> cave person. <laughs> and uh, and it's uh, Pothy, or like current form is the hipster. So that's, that's a lame story, dude. Oh, Beatnik. Oh, Beatnik. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But didn't they say hipster back then, too? I feel Good like question. I read the word I, hipster. I was in some... instantly agreeing with you, but I think you were thinking Beatnik, don't you think? Well, I thought that Beatnik and hipster were in the same family. Yeah, I thought maybe. they were like, I don't know, read some Kerouac back in the day. And, it's probably in there. Anyway, hey man, it's almost 420. Are you about to blaze up on High Church for this podcast episode? Already done. Already done. <laughs> How yeah. deep are you? How deep are you? It's very punctual. 420 no, I'm comes kidding. at 405 for Brandon Perkins. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I work East Coast hours, so it's, it's early. <laughs> oh, I see. No, I'm just kidding. Um no, I uh yeah, I had a little bit before the the show. Yeah, nice. The afternoon. Okay. Yeah. Afternoon. Yeah, good. Excellent. Well done, man. Yeah. I I'm stone cold sober right maybe, now. Maybe maybe that's a, <laughs> maybe that's more of a question for Ron himself. It's almost four twenty, my friend. I've got to. I actually. Oh. <laughs> truth be told, I actually have to stop for a while so that I can um, do some medical testing. Oh yeah. Nothing wrong with that. No. Hmm. No. 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 Hmm. Anyway, um, but I'll start again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I will. <laughs> That's, funny. That's well, awesome. Have you have you found it to be helpful? Helpful, like, or just like something that? The, okay, the the. I'm glad we're just gonna. Start isn't that so funny? It, like, it's like utility. I even turned it into like a. Oh, is it like? Is it doing something? Is it helpful for you? When. We There's talked a whole, about that whole loaded thing too. But, yeah, yeah, we talked about this the other day because I was I had smoked a little bit of weed the other night before we had a like a deep like deep dive conversation around relationships and and mm. life and transformation and and I found myself to be really like surfing the waves like really in it my, my roots went deep in and mm. where we were without having to float away or get distracted. And he and he was on the phone with me, and um, and he's like, "Are you? You got a little marijuana in your system?" And <laughs> you could tell that's exactly what I said. Yeah, I was like, "Indeed, indeed, I do." Yeah, indeed but I it do. was funny because the cues to that were that he was like listening really, really well, <laughs> and he was very patient and very interested in what I was saying. And I was like, "This is an amazing conversation, Ron." <laughs> Like, was it for an episode? What's going or just, on? Just a conversation. No, it was. It's just a conversation. But I was just hit me at the right time because I kind of, mm. you know, needed a friend, and mm. he was there. And then he not only was there, but he was there in a way that I hadn't really experienced. Um, and anyways, the next 
like a couple of days later, uh, I something similar happened, and uh, and I realized that he was smoking a little bit, and it was like it just seemed to be a very positive thing in his life. And I know from other times in his life, you know, it has not been a positive thing. And so my mm-hmm. whole point with bringing it up was, you know, this is great. And whatever you're doing, you're doing it in a way that seems to be really helpful, at least to your good old buddy, Daniel, um, you know, what's going on. And then that started this, us in teasing out this conversation about how something that is easily uh, not a positive thing in someone's life can at the right time and in the right moment, um, amounts be positive i have to keep it real real low dose like real Mm. yeah just just the mildest of of intakes because if i I, if i cross a threshold there's either two things that need to happen immediately one is sleep even on sativas like it's like i have this Mm. deep need to fall asleep immediately other people feel energetic and especially with indicas like indicas like it's an elephant dart you know like like running (laughs) through the it's like running through the forest and just getting the the dart and like falling over (laughs) instantly seeing will ferrell put a dart into his neck it is it is instant i remember the first time it happened i was with a group of guys that were at a campfire in southern california and they're a bunch of hipsters <laughs> and we're all at a circle passing this joint around. And before the joint came around the second time, I was like, I have to sleep immediately. And I walked into this guy's house <laughs> and just laid on his couch and woke up the next day. That's to me that that like would be easy to interpret that like your brain is going, man. And when that thing turns off, your body's like, sweet. <laughs> or if i don't go to sleep the the need is ravenous appetite and the problem with ravenous appetite is is like it's just not good to freaking eat the way i eat when i'm high like Mm -hmm. that like it i eat to pain and i keep eating and i keep eating and it feels like abusive and i can't turn it off and yeah and then there's like a shame cycle sometimes with people a hundred percent of the time with me mm-hmm. <laughs> not sometimes me too all the time with food yeah so yeah. i there, i have to like either either just like keep it at bay or just it's such a small amount like right before bed that's the only way yeah. i can roll with it because i i can't play in that other land i used to uh be a distance runner right and cool at that time, uh, through late teens into mid twenties, I was also struggling with a eating disorder and Mm -hmm. it wasn't an extreme one. It didn't ever, uh, threaten my health, but it was definitely body dysmorphia. And I would look into a mirror and see myself as fat when I was completely the opposite. Um, and one of the, and I was also really obsessive and addictive around food was one of the only ways I felt fulfilled. And I would eat and then run. I would combine those two things. Oh my gosh. And I would eat, I would eat like maybe 6,000 calories worth of food. How do you fit 6,000 calories in your body? I ate a lot. I could eat a lot. That's, I know. That's crazy. I mean, I'm throwing a number out there. Still, I mean, that's, so 2,000 calories is roughly what a human should eat for the day. I might be exaggerating, but if I listed out all the things, I I, I wrote it. You can eat some like really, calorically dense foods though like you yeah. Know, eat a, yeah 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 the know, point is, is it's like yeah. go yeah. do that and then go run 15 miles at like Jeez. six minute 30 pace and and then thinking about 
wanting to eat when you get back, you know, is and what was funny about that is that what got me out of that finally was noticing, noticing that the times that I wasn't hungry, that I wasn't obsessing about food, and then growing those times. So I noticed that if I would play guitar for a short amount of time, I wouldn't think about food. Uh, exercise, of course. But also I noticed uh, I started writing. I was a journalist in a journalism mm. major, and I started writing. And I noticed I would get lost in writing. I was like, oh, okay. And then I noticed a couple other times during the day. And what ended up happening and made me realize is that, is that I was raised around athletics, you know, and achievement in that way. But I'm an extremely creative person. I didn't discover that I'm creative until later. And it was like the absence of creativity in my life. I was trying to fill with food and it just was killing me. Did you did you have to go to rehab or anything for your or, or no? I just started growing those times and grew uh, them until they choked out the imbalance. And then uh, you know this is turning into like a eating disorder confessional, but you know, <laughs> just uh, bear with me. No, it I was. Think, I, I think guys deal with body dysmorphia way more than they admit. Well, here's mm-hmm. the little yeah. jujitsu turn that I used yeah. to actually put that to bed pretty much completely. I was 25 years old and I was racked with guilt every time I would eat because I think it was making me fat. And one morning I I remember I wanted to eat two breakfast burritos, right? I was starving and I wanted to eat these breakfast burritos, but they have a lot of carbohydrates, right? Yeah. This is potatoes and yeah, this is like 15 years ago. And, and so I was like, fuck it. I'm going to be the fat guy. That's just what I thought in my head. I was like, screw it. I need to eat this. I want to eat this. And if it makes me fat, fine. And I just decided to be the fat guy in the you know? And uh, for some reason, that acceptance of that thought yes. worked. Here we go. Wild. Wild. And, and it was done. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, was, you, you didn't resist it. And so it ceased to persist. It was this amazing, is something yeah. that River and I talk about constantly really? on the podcast. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Like, is is yeah, is this idea of, you know, I don't want to apply this to all situations, but this idea of what what you resist will persist, yeah. and that which you don't resist will no longer persist. And I think that is true for thinking and, like, thinking loops, but also for behavioral loops as well, or things that require more, like, physical action. But this is something that... I personally think is really interesting because of the way it affected me when I was really steeped in church culture and when I worked as a youth pastor at multiple churches. Let's jump into um, that real quick. I want to, I want to, I, I want to, I'm sorry, keep going, keep going. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, Cause I think it ties into what, with what Daniel's talking about with like, yeah. For me, the way that this played out personally was in these church environments. I didn't grow up in the church, by the way, but these church environments that I became embedded into because of the love and grace and just amazing beauty of what I had stumbled into as far as the mystical piece of Christianity. That's kind of what kickstarted my my faith journey. I didn't even step foot in a church or read a Bible before I had this like Christ consciousness experience. And that's what I refer to it now, like in hindsight, yeah. but in, in the moment it was original, it was um, immediately given language of like, oh yeah, that's like, 
Jesus. You need to connect with Jesus. And the way you do that is you go to a church. So I went to these churches and quickly became just obsessed with, with wanting more of that initial experience, that initial touch point that I had. And could you describe so real quickly that initial yeah. touch point you had? Because I, I, I want to get to where you're going, especially around the resist mm-hmm. and persist, but like talk about that yeah, yeah. peak experience that you had with the Christ consciousness a little bit. Yeah. So just to share a little bit of the story before that, I didn't grow up in a religious house I or any type of uh, religious background, not even my extended family. It was kind of like a, more of a Christian moralism type home. So we were really, we were, my brother and I were raised to just like be good kids, make good choices and be a good person. And throughout my teens and, and, uh, and late teens, I started to kind of just go the way of uh, like unchecked hedonism, I guess, like a lot of young people do and found myself in these circumstances where I just felt really helpless. I felt really lost. I felt Mm. like I didn't have any structure. And as someone who was a a product of a divorced family, my my parents separated when I was uh, late in high school. I didn't, wasn't really given any tools or didn't learn how to cope with that in a really healthy way and, and make peace with what was, which was my parents were no longer going to be together. And so that kind of found itself uh, manifesting in all of these ways with, you know, the, the litany of uh, like, um, what do you call those testimony stories that you would hear like in churches where it's like, I, you know, you, I went crazy. I, I was partying and having sex and doing this and doing that. And then like Jesus saved me. It was, mm-hmm. it was kind of that story, but I didn't have any of like the Jesus context stuff mm-hmm. uh, until after this experience that I had. So I was, going through life in a similar way to what I just described as like the, the uh, quintessential like testimony. But I was also uh, working out with this guy named Derek and he, we, he and I became really good friends by meeting at the gym. And, and uh, he was just kind of like sharing this spirituality thing around Jesus with me. And I was like, Oh, this is really interesting. But it wasn't like, Oh yeah, I want to like go to church. And then at the same time, another friend had recently become a Christian and shared like this testimony website with me. And it had videos of like kind of more prominent or famous people telling their testimonies of how they came to know Jesus Christ. And he shares this website with me. It's kind of, I just brush it off. I watch one of the videos. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. Well, I don't know, this was in like the span of like a month that these two people speak kind of who were friends of mine were these events are coinciding at the same time. And I'm just really, I think I was just getting really squeezed spiritually as far as some of these things coming to the surface that I hadn't really ever explored, but I had always kind of been like a spiritually curious person. And so long story short, I have this uh, like peak experience in my room alone. I was 18 years old and I'm in my, my room at my mom's house upstairs in my bedroom, the the doors closed and I'm watching, I just felt compelled to go and watch this testimony video. And so I go and hit play on my laptop. I'm sitting down and uh, on the ground and with my back kind of against the dresser and it's the afternoon. 
it's in October. So the sun's setting kind of early. And I watched this video on repeat like 15 times and it's like a 10 minute video. And I'm just entranced like by this encounter, basically spiritually that this guy, Brian had with God. And I'm feeling kind of this like energy start to well up and bubble up. It's funny to speak about it now in hindsight, because I, like I said, I was given all this religious language to associate with it, but yeah. But since that that moment, I've had so many, I've had other experiences like this apart from church, apart from anything. So, and in this initial experience is interesting because of that too. I never, I didn't, I went to church like once. So anyway, I'm watching this video and I close my eyes to just, it's dark in my room at this point because I've been watching so long. I close my eyes to pray and I have this really wild, like, embodied ethereal mystical experience where i can i just feel like i'm like levitating basically my eyes are closed and i had i had experimented with some drugs like pot and you know like some pills or whatever in high school but i felt like i was in a different world it was mm-hmm. it was so different but it was also kind of similar to like a like a psychedelic trip or something like that mm-hmm. um and so I have this experience and I don't know how long it lasted, seconds, minutes, whatever. And I feel all this light and I can like feel and see this brightness around my house mm. and in the room, it's just like filling up. And on the outside of my house, like kind of the outer ring outside that is like this darkness or evil or whatever you want to call it, this resistance. And uh, and so. I have this experience. I kind of come to, I cut like in, in like a waking state and I'm like, Holy shit. What was that? That was kind of my thought running through my head. Yeah. And I'm just kind of stunned. Like that was so insane. Like I, like what just happened. Um, and I was so freaked out and felt like high that I was like, I need to go to bed. So I went to bed at like eight 30 that night woke up the next morning and I just felt different. Uh, immediately when my eyes opened, I felt like this immense amount of gratitude and this immense amount of mm. light and peace and love. And mind you, I didn't have any type of spiritual container yet. I just yeah. felt free. Mm. And I go outside and the grass is greener and the sky is bluer. And I feel more compelled than ever to just love people exactly as they are. And, mm. and that was like the, the kickstart to hopping into church and kind of putting some type of structure that in hindsight, again, I can see that I needed. And it was like a moth to a flame. I mean, it was destined to happen that way. Yeah. As far as like the, that experience at that time. Yeah. There was a little bit of a, not a little bit. There was very much a feeling that day in my kitchen of uh relief and Mm -hmm. i think but the difference between that and something that you just think is that it was really a a belief like i gave into a belief that Mm -hmm. i I really surrendered to something wow inside wow and that affected me it a weight was lifted wow Mm -hmm. and i fear was less you know much less and i've never had a 
I don't know if I, I'm not going to say that from that moment on, I haven't had a guilty bite of food since, but I haven't, that was maybe 15 years ago. And I probably haven't eaten something and then felt at all guilty about it in well over a decade, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the thing as well. How do you get to a point where you believe something? How do you get to a point where it becomes not mental, but emotional? And I think emotions, uh, those get, created based on our beliefs and our beliefs are are part of our inner world potentially part of our even subconscious world and we were talking before we just started this about emotional awareness emotional intelligence emotional sobriety and one thing that i'm learning about myself with my emotions is i'll be really up here in my brain Mm. and then i'll notice when something finally gets down into my emotions so like i'll get into an argument and i'll be really hard you know yeah but then at some point in time at usually after pushing whoever i'm talking with to a point where they're super pissed and hurt now i get softened up and i can like empathize and, and be there for them and so it's been a big topic on my mind like that day in the kitchen where it was a belief system. It was an emotional experience. It wasn't just me like saying something on the surface in my head. How do we get to that emotional place and change those and have communication and openness? It's just fascinating me lately. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to ask you, does it, does it circle back to the, what you resist persists? Yes. modality and because i wanted you to kind of continue to talk about what, what you saw in the church and also you know come back to daniel's idea of like how does it get down how does that experience that you have you know like you were mentioning you're uh i'll, I'll let you answer because i can <laughs> i keep talking yeah. for a long time yeah yeah i am interested to hear what you, you think too ron about yeah. that because of your journey and your story too but for me I think surrender is the prerequisite to that Mm. freedom that we've all three of us have experienced. Yeah. And surrender, not meaning like sometimes what we think it means, like, like really surrendering, like failing, giving up. Right. Like like truly. And this is what river and I, my co-host talk about too, is, is like, usually it takes like that, that, that big moment. You don't have a plan B. You don't have, something else you're just completely surrendering to or making peace with what is and then that unlocks the door somehow into a greater awareness right and a greater like, level of freedom it's like a level of fuck it i give up you know yeah. for me at least yeah. that only happens if i get pushed or push myself or push someone else to a certain place and i just would love to learn in my own emotional like life uh, because my emotions totally affect what I say and how I say it, yeah. who I say it to and whether or not I'm going to hurt someone, you know, and mm-hmm. it would just be as not would, it is becoming, um, I'm starting to get more awareness of what gets me to a place of like softness and opening and openness and kindness, you know, cause I have these values in my life personally that I feel really good about like one of them would be be kinder to people than you think you should be, like regardless of what they look like or how happy they seem or how mean they are, just be kind. And yet I'll find that my ability to actually be kind and from a place of heart is like a million miles away. Half the time I'm hanging out with people, even if I'm yeah. reminding myself, like how do we get the mental to connect with? You know what I mean? It's a fascinating yeah. topic to me. <laughs> yeah, it is. 
I think that often we are trying to be people that we are not. And that comes out as this white knuckling persistence. And this is, I experienced this in the church too, but I'll just, I'll, I'll come back, Ron. I want to, I want to address this first. Cause I'll like, I think it'll tie into also what Daniel's yeah. talking about and all of this, but a, a tangible way that I saw this expressed in church. And there's many beautiful aspects of lots of different traditions, but the Christian church has some really beautiful things that I still practice and find valuable today. But this particular practice of trying to get people to stop behaving a certain way or stop doing things that other people think are wrong, Mm -hmm. like masturbating the pornography is it's a, it's a futile (laughs) endeavor. Like it, it doesn't work. And the reason it doesn't work is because you are resisting what is and therefore not making peace with it. Um, You're unable to be honest with yourself about the way that you feel. And so you're trying to create like a a behavior change just off of pure grit and strength. Um, Yeah. And you've also tried to manufacture a version of yourself that is like somehow better or more lovable or whatever. This person that just doesn't look at pornography or doesn't eat certain amount, certain types of foods or whatever, rather than actually making peace with like, no, I am a person that eats those food, those Mm -hmm. types of foods. And I am someone who like looks at porn sometimes and masturbates. Like if you can make peace with that and get out of the, the behavior shame loop, every time you do the thing that you told yourself you wouldn't do again, I, I, and like accept the failure for what it is. I think more people would experience freedom in a way that they haven't because you've taken the, you've taken the taboo out of it. You've taken the sting out of it. You've taken yeah. the, honestly, you, you take the kinky, the kinkiness out of it. Like this is something that uh, I talk about with uh, River again, also on the podcast is like, and our, our friend Tim, it's like a lot of this stuff seems sometimes we're going off on a rabbit trail now, but like what I experienced in the, in the church at least was like looking back, I think there was some weird, like obsessive compulsive, like stuff attached to some of these uh, like the shame that people had around, especially sexuality and things like that. And, and, and not like making peace with it. Yeah when you suppress that, like it's going to come out, it's going to ooze out in all these different ways because you've ceased to actually make peace with who you are. And because it's, it's unfortunately not just in the church, in a lot of spaces, it's unsafe to be honest. It's unsafe to be who you are and, and yeah. accept who you are, where you're at, exactly where you're at. And so that, so personally, that's, that's an, that's actually an area, pornography and masturbate, all that like sex, uh, like, I guess, uh, sexual compulsive, like, and and totally it stems out of a place of control, but like that, that thing, which I've decided like, isn't healthy for me, you know, you know, I experienced freedom when I stopped trying so hard to not <laughs> look at porn and masturbate. Like, and, yeah. and so when I realized that, I was like, oh my God, I was totally 
given like the wrong script to follow when I was part of these church communities where they yeah. just were like trying harder or like praying more is going to somehow change your circumstance. You know, another, uh, a good, like de detabooing. I, I like that you bring, brought up porn. There's a, a good hack that worked for me around porn. Um, and that's that, uh, I, I don't, I used to use it more than I do now. But when I was judging myself for using it too much, I was like, maybe I'll just tweak how I do it instead of what I'm doing, you know? And so I put a clock on it. So I would just wouldn't, I would only do it for a certain like five minutes, you know? And it was really helpful that worked. But then also on top of that, I started making myself go to some, uh, type of video that I'd never been before. And I used it as a way to explore my sexuality. And mm. those two things work like a charm. Mm. Um, and now I feel like, I mean, I'm sure that other people would dis disagree with this. Like if you ever use porn, it's awful, which I don't believe is true, but yeah. there's definitely ways I think to tweak your relationship with things that are challenging. Kind of like we were talking about with marijuana earlier, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's the amount situation for you. Totally. It's just like with porn, like I feel totally free of anything yeah. that might even be anywhere close to an addiction, which I don't think I ever really was, but I was definitely using it more than I was comfortable with. Yeah. And it's just like getting creative, removing the taboo and reinventing a relationship with something. Like you said, that can definitely be a way of like surrendering to it. And let's use mm -hmm. this and see what can happen. I'm glad you, you said the word masturbate Beautiful. multiple times. Uh, <laughs> it's always good to be said out loud. Masturbate, <laughs> masturbate. Uh, yeah. the, the word masturbate actually means to self-abuse. And, and so my wife and I have actually kind huh. of outlawed it from the house <laughs> and, and from our circles that we talk in because, because of the shame cycle that already exists around it, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of, a lot of what we talk about together, my wife and I together, and also with our clients and, and circles with that is like self-pleasure is not self-abuse. Yes. Self-pleasure can be a form of self-love. Yeah. And you can actually find a real thick like strong road into healing i know you're laughing at like oh, that's there was a pregnant pause i know, I know. Thick and i know just, i was really just i was like i was like balancing <laughs> on like the innuendo tightrope <laughs> and then once you set yourself up you can just see like four in a row you're like oh yeah i, can I know i know <laughs> that's awesome that you I did should. That. that's great it's, yeah and, and i think i actually intuited that going to Christian college because I was like one of the few kids who actually had had sex with somebody and the taboo was not there for me. And so I'm yeah. seeing these guys who are all exactly like freaking the hell out around their sexuality. Yeah. And it looked like addicts. I mean, these, these young men who would have normally been just like the best of the best young people, right. were like fiends around masturbation and pornography and all that. And I remember there was like this, I lived in this dorm where they put all put a flag outside of their door and your flag could only be there if you didn't uh, masturbate. And I just took my flag off immediately. I was like, huh. I'm not playing this shame game. Like this is, and I was, Dude, it's a kinky thing. Like it's, it is, it is weird. It is actually, don't you think it is, it really is like, yeah. I think, yeah, I'd be interested to see those people's like, or you like look inside of, this is what I was going to say. Like you look at any type of community or whatever, and like what they're shaming, what they are so vehemently against. It's like, yeah. 
I'd be interested to dig a little deeper and see. I'm not trying, I don't think we need to psychoanalyze everyone, but right. in my experience, a lot of times it's trying to speak to something that you've yeah. like pushed down. Totally. And so it's not, it's not a, like us shaming them even it's saying like, dude, get free, like allow yeah. that to fully be laid out so that you can see it for what it is and, and see you for who you are. And, and, and once you get free like that, it doesn't like, yeah. Yeah. It's 100%. not going to have the, the negative power, that negative it's, energy. There's this sort of metaphor that I've used over the years where, you think about anything in life being a flame and uh, or some sort of heat source that you would hold your hand over. Why well, just call it a flame? So like Did I see this in a karate movie? <laughs> like holding your hand over the flame. So like a heroin, right? Would in my mind would be like the hottest flame. Like you don't want to fuck around with heroin probably at all, right? I'm sure there's someone yeah. out there who can well, heroin can be helpful to people who are mortally wounded, right? And my point is is like lust sex that's a i think of it as a flame you know and just don't hold my hand over it too long because it's going to burn me and when i used to use porn more regularly i found that it would like hypnotize me into going deeper and deeper and that i really realized that i think lust is potentially a bottomless is a bottomless emotion you know and it it just gets more um I don't really know what I'm talking about here, so like be gentle guys, but <laughs> I don't I, I I don't think it has a bottom. <laughs> right. And that's why it gets warped into people doing awful things with, with people. But I did find that okay, let's not deep dive on this. Yeah. And as long as I don't do that, then porn wasn't a problem in my life, you know? Um, but I did notice if I like stayed on for a while that it would just get like more and more erotic, but not in a way that would be hmm. It wasn't really satisfying. Totally. It was kind of miserable to be yeah, honest. Yeah, and totally. I have a really healthy, robust sexuality and I'm very happy with it. And that was something different. Mm. And I, I just realized at that time I need to to change things up. And and it's just been like you were saying, it's just yeah, I mean, it's an interesting gone, thing you know? to, to hear the conversation around porn now because I think universally it's like, well, everyone uses in some regard and also universally. And just like you said, there's some kind of version of, and it's not that great. Like if there's, mm-hmm. there's a place for it and, and there's a place for it that can be kind of delightful, like maybe like a nice dessert or a yeah. nice drink or something like that, where it can be incorporated in some way. And then there's also this yeah. whole bottomless dopamine pit where you yeah. just will never, the rat will never be able to press the bar enough yeah. to satisfy. And you're going to yeah. like, Get, get in and get out but then <laughs> uh, now we're like i mean porn theme fun uh what i was worried about after that though was well if you're going to get in and out on porn really fast does that mean that when you have sex with someone it's going to also happen fast you know yeah but that is not true at least it hasn't been for me right. and that was also kind of liberating because i i wonder if you're a teenager and your mind is growing up your with brain porn, is yeah that you'll get wired in a way where maybe that would be a problem i've heard that a lot i mean yeah. i've heard that um without out even like frequently outside the walls of the culture that brandon i came from which is the christian you know thing but I, but i i've met people and in, inside the recovery circles kids who like normal kids and just get exposed to things in the wrong the wrong time in the wrong way and it just goes down a deep dark rabbit hole and they're, you know, have like 
end up as adults having actual physiological sexual problems because they're they're so used to being stimulated by such crazy stuff that just normal person-to-person interaction isn't enough stimulation anymore for their brain to be aroused and and i know that's extreme case no i've heard that i just i guess what i'm saying is i because I heard that, I thought that that would happen yeah, to me. To you, it didn't yeah. yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. And I thought that was interesting too. And I think that teasing out some of the nuances of porn culture and how it affects different people at different ages is a really valuable conversation. Usually, mostly for people who are like studying and stuff, but you have empirical experience around something. And I just think it's important, personally, to like you were saying, the whole theme is like detaboo things. It's not as much what you're doing always as how you're doing it, in what capacity, how long, to what extent, who your company is, dot, dot, dot. Did you find that taboo where you, where did you feel some barriers to your experience with marijuana because of the taboos that you had waded through working in the church? That's a good question. Mm, it did take me a while, yeah, but it really started to, lesson i think the last like four years or so because even after i was done working at a church i still felt some type of not shame but like dirtiness around it Mm -hmm. and i think that also made it more like fun too i was doing it i was (laughs) doing it less regularly Um, you've been threatened at all around using that term high church in the way that you're using it no that would be really funny, though. Um, <laughs> I, I well, no, well, I have like Christian. Family. I mean, the reason we ask is because I we had a guest on uh, the naked pastor. Are you familiar with that guy? Yes. Yeah, yeah he makes the the drawings. Yeah, yeah. and he has been threatened. He's threatened regularly around oh my his gosh. art. I know it's totally crazy. Yeah, like yeah. life. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I can't imagine. Yeah, yeah that would be insane. I. Yeah, I shouldn't have laughed at that because it seems silly to me, but I I can't imagine. It's I mean it's silly to say out loud, but but there's a, there is some crazy stuff, and we're getting a little distracted here. But around from your own experience on this, um, yeah, the weed thing. No, I didn't. Uh, I don't feel any type of shame anymore uh, yeah. because I'm I'm literally not part of those communities anymore, and so yeah. and. This is really what I kind of wanted to turn it into as well, because it's going to tie in together. But the re- a big reason why I think that I don't feel that shame with porn, with the weed thing, with even the thoughts and beliefs that I have inside my brain, I don't feel like I have to explain those things to anyone because I think I... I I switched the authority structure from being externally focused to the the self and and recognizing that which I've been looking for and looking to for answers, for truth, for love. And that could include church stuff, um, marriage, like all of these externally focused things, pastors, even God as a concept. Mm-hmm. Um, all of it was like just busy work, but in the, in the middle of it, like sitting like a rock at the bottom of the ocean was this like ancient Mm -hmm. primordial, like primordial, um, weighty 
experience of the divine and of the true self that I had experienced in my room at 18 years old that had kind of stuck with me the entire way, like through all of the politics of it and not, and, and being someone who did have, you know, smoke weed and then worked at a church and was like, no, I'm, I'm not doing anything. Like I was a, I was a good pastor guy. Like I followed all the rules because I, I was chasing like this truth. Right. And my problem the whole time was that a, I, I wasn't like getting still and realizing that that which I was looking for was already within me. And B, I, I wasn't, um, I couldn't like let things go. Like I couldn't allow things to be, and this was a problem with that I had because of control. And I think there's like some other things at play just from growing up and, but the impermanence of reality of like things, a thingness and of, of even ideas and practices. Like I couldn't, I couldn't accept that like things change. And so I wanted to keep like things the same and I couldn't accept that like, okay, um, some things you do for a time and then you don't, there's this Zen parable that Alan Watts talks about where it's like you get in a, a boat to cross the river to get to the other side. And when you get there, like you get out, you leave the boat. Mm -hmm. And then when it's time to cross the river again, you go back to the boat and you get in mm -hmm. and then you use the boat to cross the, to the other side again. And I think that uh, to me, that's, that's practically helps me with just allowing things again, to be as they are, to accept things like the, how, how they literally are and to not resist that which is happening mm. um because that's when that's when suffering pers persists in, in my experience but um and so i think that applies to like the masturbate the you know the um pornography thing i think that applies to the weed thing like there's the taboo stuff is in there too but like really it's uh it's allowing like sometimes weed is helpful and so pick it up like when it is. I think that's what I was mm. getting at with like the helpful thing of the question originally to you, Ron, right. mm. is like, if it no longer serves you, leave it behind. Yeah. Allow it to be what it was. Don't shame it. Don't like glorify it. You just allow it to be what it was. Yeah. And same with friendships, same mm. with all things that change, all things mm. that come and go, mm. the jobs, marriages, like... And I think a lot of people are, it's hard to, to even get into that frame of mindset because it feels like such a slippery slope. It feels like if I let go, if I really surrender into this abyss, um, then I'm just going to like nosedive into nothing. I got to have some type of, you know, like plan. And again, I'm not saying that that's not a bad thing, but and I'm kind of digressing, but I think to bring it all back, I think letting learning to let go and learning to 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 make peace with where things are at when they're there is is uh has been a helpful practice to me it's allowed me to not like overly cling to things um especially when when they leave whether that's uh something that i know that i i like a habit i need to just stop doing or or um or a job or whatever like there, there truly is a season for all things. And so I think it's, it's becoming emotionally intelligent and emotionally aware to that too. And, and then 
like tapping into that more often and then not shaming yourself when, when you don't. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think of your emotional awareness? Like, what do you, what does that feel like to you? Like, what does that physically feel like to you when you know you're, you're like on the right path and you're being led or, or your emotions are resonating with, with your next right step? I think to me personally, it feels like non resistance. It feels like a, uh, it feels natural. It feels native experientially. And I think, um, whether that's like accepting that I was wrong in a conversation with my wife uh, and, right. and going and like apologizing or just in the moment when I get it right, rarely in real time, I can feel like, Oh, I like have a choice right now to yeah. respond like with, with emotional awareness and intelligence. Like I can just like really listen and not re- react. I can, I can mm-hmm. just like listen with, with a, a beginner's mind, which is uh, a Zen term also called uh, Shoshin. And it's like this emptiness where you're, I think that is a, a really key ingredient in, in emotional awareness and intelligence is becoming like a child, beca- getting empty, not filling your mind with these concepts about what you think things should be like, or, or what you think, you know, you should even say back to this person, or if you're like that conversation analogy, but bodily, yeah, it feels like, feels like non-resistance. Even the term emotional intelligence, uh, you know, what that really means, you know, is something been, I think we're, you know, you're speaking to it a little bit, but I've been starting to try to break that down into what that really means, maybe a little more specifically. Um, because sometimes emotional intelligence, like what you just said, might be, well, I don't know if this is what you're saying, but maybe it's recognizing your feelings some way and then responding not from that place, but from a mental place that you know is the right thing to do. Let's say if you're mm-hmm. angry and instead of responding from that anger, you respond from somewhere in your head that is not emotional that you know is the right is is right is helpful is kind whatever interesting and then another aspect i think of emotional intelligence would be a communication with your emotions an ability to mm. yeah if you tell yourself something different your emotions actually change right mm. and then a third of a way that i would describe emotional intelligence would be that your emotions are actually responding like an intelligent person <laughs> you know like with they're connected and you wouldn't get angry because hmm. you know you're it's hitting you in a way that you know you're just not quick to anger for whatever reason you've created that in yourself you got lucky whatever but those are like three ways that i think are very distinct hmm. and different that i would all put under the umbrella of emotional intelligence that's um, cool yeah just teasing out that word and getting a little more specific with it is yeah. helpful for me what do, and where do you feel it in your body? Because the reason I'm asking, like, where you feel in your body, because for me, that's the key. Like, sometimes the cue for if I'm on the wrong path is is how I'm acting. But I've noticed that the 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 quicker I can realize how I'm acting, let's say raging at my son. Okay. Uh, actually, there's a there's a couple of cues beforehand, both in anger and in being being in the right place. So in being in anger, like, like my vision narrows, mm-hmm. my, yeah, my, my solar plexus heats up, it feels heavy and 
and the adrenaline starts to like go to the extremities of my body, like mm. my arms mm. and face and stuff like that. When, yeah. when I'm uh, like my wife and I recently just invested quite a bit of money in some things that are going to push our business forward. And, and that for any business as you're going forward is like the risk. Like, are we, are we about to throw a lot of money away or are we about to use this money to build something bigger? And we were both really checking ourselves as we were making these investments, like, okay, well, how's our body feel in this? Mm-hmm. And, and we're kind of like, it's either a, a hell yes or a hell no. Like it's either like a full yes or it's a full no. If it's not a full yes, then for us, we're just not in. Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's, there's. My wife is much better at that than I am. Like I've learned a lot from her. Sometimes, sometimes we have to, we'll need like a series of clues, but then that gives us the the hell yes. Right. Oh, I see. So Mm -hmm. we'll give it time. Like if it's not, it's not like, it's not like, uh, oh, I'm not, I'm, you know, we, we go through exploration periods. We, we investigate, we try to get all the data, you know, we talk, talk to people. So I say all that to say, you know, sometimes we have a hunch that things are good. It feels right. And what I mean by feeling right is I've heard it explained a couple of different, different ways. One, and I've said this on the podcast before, it's a velvety inner feeling. Uh, another, another guest that just was on uh, two episodes ago, George Cow, he talks about, no, it wasn't George Cow. It was, um, oh, he's not been on yet. He's not, he's coming. He'll be on the 25th and we record with it. Jason. Jason talks about a flame or a fire that he feels. Mm. And I thought that's, and I'm so curious about our nervous system interpreting the the Geiger. It's almost like the Geiger needle or something. Like, how do we know what, what, when do we know we're off? When do we know we're on and what in our body is like responding to those things? Because the emotion is the, is the reading that we're getting. Right. But a lot of times our emotions dictated by our nervous system, either prior or first or afterwards. Like our nervous system is also playing in there. And I think it can move mm. our move our emotions both in the right way and the wrong way. Right. Mm. So if you're adrenalized because you're being picked on, it's going to be much harder to control your emotions. Right. Yeah. I haven't thought of it nervous i use the term nervous system quite a bit yeah i haven't i think of my nervous system as something that expresses my emotions my emotions are expressed through my nervous system Hmm. um as opposed to what you as something maybe which i just said was the opposite i said Hmm. i said your nervous system is is uh your your nervous system can dictate your emotions I guess it's not the opposite. It's Your both. nervous system, it's both. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, because I've experienced both as well. Yeah. Uh, one way that I've changed my my like uh, nervous system yeah. to shift with my emotions in a way that seems backwards, but actually like produces a really healthy and powerful result. And I know, I don't know if, uh, uh, Daniel, if you've experienced, experienced with this, I know you have, Ron, but like uh, either a cold tank or a cold shower. and you're like literally inducing a fight or flight response to your nervous yeah. system. But in your mind, you're training your mind to be empty and, and clear from the, 
barrage of thoughts that's telling you that you're going to die or that you're um, in danger or that you're going to, you're going to get sick or you're going to get too cold or you shouldn't be doing this. Mm -hmm. You're like retraining yourself to get still and not be dictated by like that, that initial nervous system response. That's interesting. It's very interesting. I'm glad you brought, I just took a class with a group called Costa Rica Freediving in Mm. Santa Teresa, Costa Rica. And, and, and the class is for guys who want to get men and women who want to get into free diving or who want to be able to feel safe in heavy surf during big, big crashes. Mm. And, and everything they said began with what you just talked about, about putting your nervous system in a, in a position that your nervous system alarms are going off but then emptying your mind in order to tell yourself you're okay. So they were having us doing these gentle breath holding exercises on land. And we were lasting about a minute, you know, collectively as a group. And then they give us these really simple cues, like relaxing our face first and then letting that relax the rest of our body. And then doing really simple things like having a mantra, singing a song, having a recipe, something that you're responding to. By the end of the class, this like very normal group of people, including myself, were, were pushing three-minute breath holds, and yeah. 100% of us were able to swim 25 meters underwater on a single breath pretty handedly, like, like without too much effort. And it was because we learned, oh, when this convulsion happens, when my body, my diaphragm and my lungs or under my lungs wants to move, I actually have at least as much time left in the reserve as I did when that convulsion arrived. Yeah. And I, th- and I think about that for, for those of us who we're not a free diver. I'm not a free diver, nor am I a surfer, but I'm a dad and I'm a husband and I'm a business owner and I'm a driver, <laughs> right? I drive on public <laughs> streets. <laughs> and I think about like what, how much is left in the tank when I'm triggered? Like how much do I really have left when I'm redlining? And I bet I've got a lot more and I'm forcing myself to say those mantras. I'm forcing myself to especially relax my face. What do you, that relax. What do you mean by, sorry, go ahead, man. No, I was just agreeing. Yeah. yeah. It's great. Uh, Cause I, I, I don't think of it as a, t- how much do I have left in the tank as, and I'm curious why and how. Well, I was just using it as a metaphor for now. Like, look with the breath because it mirrors the breath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, um, like, uh, controlling or allowing or not speaking or acting from my emotions when those emotions are not positive, <laughs> when they are destructive emotions, is uh, really in my up in my life right now in a big way. And as as are the consequences of having done that quite a bit in my life like through usually intimate uh, relationships whether that be romantic or familial or friendship hurt a lot of people you know through uh, having a keyed up nervous system or sensitive emotions then I notice that I'll start to uh, interpret things in Mm -hmm. a way that is additionally threatening and see it through that lens, which starts that cycle more. And then the eventual result is that I attack, be, believing I'm being attacked, attack back, mm-hmm. causes a lot of problems. But what's nice right now is that there seems to be a little bit more of my personal ability to tell myself something different than what is causing the emotion. And my emotions actually what I call listen. They will calm down and respond to what I'm telling them mm-hmm. instead. 
and then and then the second uh skill would be to not respond when i can't communicate with those emotions just don't speak from them you know but i'm finding that i'm reaching my limit in the ability to do that like i i just at past a certain point i can't do it Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've all heard of Wim Hof and all of that. And it's like, obviously, cold water is really good. But I never connected the cold water stuff. And I also understand that it freaks your nervous system out. But I never understood that something like that purposefully triggering your triggering your nervous system when it is not an emotion could potentially be helpful to when you are emotional, controlling the nervous system or somehow your emotions in general. And I wonder if that would be an additional way to for me to seek help and get better and hopefully get better faster would be like finding ways to trigger my nervous system and then allow my thoughts or control my thoughts during that and bring things down. Uh, yeah, we've talked about, we've actually touched on this like many times through all the episodes we've been on. I mean, yeah. from back with Andy talking about jujitsu and finding this like really yeah. safe, it's a yeah. really, really safe place to actually be taken to the end of your, of your sense of safety, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Someone's got their strong ass arm around your neck and you can feel yeah. the blood being cut off and you can see the light being drained out of your eyes. <laughs> and then you, ha- you have the control to tap and say, done and then like it comes back the lights come back on right and i and that is the same thing they were teaching us in the pool is like you're gonna put yourself under a lot of effort if at any point underwater while you're swimming across or holding something or carrying you could just stand up you can stand up and if you don't you can keep swimming and one of the interesting things about that safe place and i think this is coming back around is like it's i think you have to have a safe container to practice in we were talking a lot about safety in the class and, yeah. and how a body will actually black out before it gulps, it gulps um, water. And the, the body will black out, the diaphragm will stop working, and you'll just, your body will just stop moving. It gives you like a couple extra seconds. It gives you a couple of extra minutes, actually. Oh, rather than having water in your lungs? Yeah, and your heart oh. still beats. And then the interesting thing is, is there's a nerve that crosses the bridge of your nose and onto your cheeks. And all it takes is for your face to come out of the water and for that to be dried off, the bridge of your nose and your cheeks to be dried mm. off. And, and then you can talk to the person, hey, Daniel, it's time, it's time to breathe. Wow. And the person will, like, breathe again. That's it's a tricky body hack. <laughs> crazy. Nice job, yeah. <laughs> Nobody do that at home, by the way. Yeah. But that's but the, it, it's a safe container. Like jujitsu is a safe container, or sitting in yeah. a tub of hot cold water is a safe container, right? Like none of those things can you do right away, but you can build up to them. And I and and my guess is this is a wild guess. This is not instruction. This is a wild guess, but this kind of thing is, you know. It might be a series of being not kind to the stranger, good, then going out of your way to being kind to the asshole in the grocery store who's being a jerk yeah. to someone else, being kind to your dad, whoever it is that is yeah. triggering, like working on that as a muscle or in a safe place or with friends or with your therapist or something like I that. I feel like I've been doing that. And I think what's hitting me right now is just that it's going to take longer than, I, than I'd hoped. Yeah. You know, because of course, because I, I was like, fucking champion like emotional intelligence on his way you know and then i got tested with something and like fucking crashed and burned you know (laughs) utterly and it cost me something that i really valued and it was a real big wake-up call and so 
that's something that actually Ron and I like talking a lot about even the last day or especially in the last day is just, okay, I need to up my commitment to emotional awareness. And, um, and then he introduced a term emotional sobriety and that was like, Oh, emotional sobriety. And then related what I experienced, which was just getting really mad at someone that I loved and saying things that were very hurtful. Um, as a relapse, you know, and, and talking about that as an emotional relapse and then being like, oh, okay, so I lost my, you know, two-week card and now I've got a zero-day card. And thinking about it that way, like, has helped me for- forgive, first of all, because that takes off an additional, like, stress. Now I can just get down to starting over, like, doing the work, you know, but I, more than anything in this world, want to be able to be kind and and cool still when being attacked and I'm just finding that it's one of my life life issues that's maybe a little bigger than I thought. Thanks for sharing that, Daniel. Appreciate that, dude. I I, I, bar- I borrowed that phrase emotional sobriety from um the program adults, adult children of alcoholics. And who often become codependent. In other words, they will accept their uh, the abuse of their families because that's also the place where they're hardwired to expect love and support from. Mm. So then that codependent relationship forms when they will do things that will enable the action. So they're not abandoned or they feel like they're being of service to their family and, and which is out of emotional sobriety. It's, it's outside of the box of sobriety because they're then enabling a problem or allowing them to be, uh, harmed or allowing themselves to in, engage into some harmful interaction. And, and I took that idea and phrase and, and also for my own journey with, with, uh, alcohol and just noticed like, when, when am I wanting to disappear? When am I wanting to numb out? When am I wanting to rage? When am I wanting to, um, you know, fill in the blank with any of those things, like run away, whatever. Oh, it's because I'm I'm like Ross Pina, our guest earlier today. He wanted to like be eradicated. He didn't want to be there anymore, and and it was because he didn't want to confront what he was really experiencing. Like you were talking about earlier, when we resist these things, the the disconnect, the dissonance happens. Right, mm-hmm. the dissonance happens, and that's when when that dissonance, happens, the feedback loop happens in your mind we want to act out and, and because we have a whole menu of wonderful things that we can have access to now of, of that, you know, we, we nicotine, drugs, alcohol, sex, porn, whatever, those are easy to go to. But what we don't also realize is that rage and anger is also on that menu. It's just like a hidden menu. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not on the menu, but it's on there. If you ask for, if you know where to look and it gives us the same dopamine rush it gives us the same sense of control yeah like but rage is also on for me it's on top of pain and mm. i know that's something like i personally may i imagine you've heard this too brandon like hurt hurt equal you know ends up being anger underneath anger is pain another nice thing to hear but like can we experience the hurt then instead of the anger you know that would be really helpful um and I, I just at the beginning of being able to feel that you, you saw it today when we were, we were walking around town 
And uh, I don't know, I was like quiet for a couple seconds or something and took a deep breath. And he's like, you all right? And I was just like, another wave, man, another wave. But it wasn't a wave of anger. It was a wave of pain. And I was like, I haven't experienced pain. I've experienced fear and anger. And now those things are realizing they cover up pain. And now I'm just starting. Now I'm actually feeling this sort of hybrid emotion, but I can feel that it's getting closer. And it's hugely liberating because when I'm hurt, I just like soften and go, ouch. You know, I'm not like claws out, let me fuck someone up, you know? So you guys keep talking, we'll be right back. Yeah. I don't know. Have you experienced much about much in the way of uh, emotions on top of other emotions or anger coming from somewhere else? Have you even heard, heard those types of ideas? No, I mean, it it makes sense. Um, Nowadays, I think that I find myself again, trying to not resist certain emotions and tell myself that certain emotions are bad or that I can't feel them or that I'm never going to, I'm never going to like call that person that name again, or I'm never going to do this. Obviously on top of all this uh, baked into it is um, there is a certain level of like of behavior change. That's okay. Like, you know, I'm not saying that, You shouldn't make real tangible changes that are going to benefit other people, but be honest with yourself when you're feeling anger, rage, uh, sexual excitement, whatever it might be like allowing that to exist as it is and not pretending it doesn't exist or, or denying it for me personally has helped me so much to not emotionally or spiritually bypass and I can, I can get to like the root of it so much quicker mm-hmm. instead of like the surrounding yeah. distractions of like, well, if I do this or if I do this move, or if I like, maybe if I need to like wake up extra early and then read 15 minutes of this and then do 10 minutes of yoga and like just trying to like constantly proceduralize things and constantly trying to, and I, I think that habits are good. Cold showers are good. Mm-hmm. Uh, meditation is good. All these things can be helpful, but they are not the key. They are not going to liberate you. Mm. And I think for me personally, I have found a lot of peace in remembering that, that like, and it's taken me years of proceduralism, like to the nth degree. Like I love planning shit. I love rituals. I love new programs. I have fucking 50 books upstairs that I've never read, but like got the book because I was going to do something different this time or Mm. got the book because I wanted to like learn this idea that was going to help me with this thing. And what I began to realize when I accepted (laughs) that this was the situation I was in is like, wow, if I can just try and be with what is, if I can accept that I'm angry in this moment because this person did this thing or whatever, and kind of like just roll back the the initial responses and the the fight or flight and some of these things that I usually lead lead in with. If I can learn how to just kind of slow down a little bit mm. when I'm feeling something, and like most of the time, I feel like I can just make a better assessment of what's actually happening rather than mm. what I think is happening or or just being 
like I, you know, controlled by my emotions or like we were talking about, but it's so different for everyone. Everyone's got such different pasts and traumas and individual circumstances that play such a big role in this. Well, I appreciate what you're saying too about, um, you know, because Ron and I were talking um, like one of my strategies and methods to uh, approach and and work through what I've been talking about has been to add structure into my life. Um, and mm-hmm. it's interesting because I'm hearing what you're saying and, but I'm like, Oh, you know, the reason I'm adding that structure though is to slow down because yeah. the type of structure that I'm adding is like basically going to force me to stick with a certain thing before hummingbirding to the next, you know, yeah. it's yeah. also going to put a boundary on being able to check out like through a phone or through a, um, uh, well, basically anything distracting. And it's that it's like adding a container around and with little like slots. So you don't, all the water just doesn't go sloshing and mixing it around all day long and be really confusing. And I'm really totally excited about that. But when you first said that, I was like, gosh, is that what I'm doing? Am I just like adding an additional layer of structure that is just going to distract me from the real thing? And I'm like, no, it's not. You know, it's That's interesting. I mean. you, there is a, there is a, a dichotomy between accepting what is right and i think that's where people get wound up because if they can't accept the paradox of that then it's too much the short the the circuit blows because there is the there is the the dichotomy of like accepting what is i'm angry i'm lusty as a horse i'm whatever it might be and also structure through effort Mm -hmm. and discipline yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I have a whole thing on this. Like, Ron, you're you're spot on. Like, probably three years ago, I started really listening to Joe Rogan. And sure. Joe Rogan. I'm yeah, kidding. he's uh he's a he has our a Lord, podcast. Our Lord and Savior. <laughs> yeah, I had him I had him on last week. You should go listen to that episode. It's really good. But I saw I think that was the first time I like, yeah, it was like probably three, four years ago. I heard of Jocko Willink, mm-hmm. yeah. who's this like crazy Navy SEAL guy that's blown that up. Intense. Another guy that like has gotten put on the map because of Joe Rogan. But he became popular for his really like hoorah mentality yeah. in this, this phrase. Like yeah, exactly. yeah, this phrase that he has that's discipline equals freedom. And it kind of like reignited something in me when I listened to this guy and I started getting in more into like David Goggins, who, who's like an ultra yeah. runner also. And, yeah. and these just really hard dudes. And it was about the same time that I stumbled into teachers like Ram Dass and Alan Watts and un- other non-dual teachers and, and spiritual teachers that speak yeah. more from like the, the Buddhist and, and Hindu traditions. And so I, it was, I was immediately like really confronted with this dichotomy or duality Mm -hmm. and this yin yang of discipline, work hard, like get up at four 30, put yourself through something really hard on purpose um, type of thing. And then on the other side, it was like, just be here now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But if you look at a monastery, (laughs) how do those guys live? You know, get up at four o'clock and they're very regimented. Yes. That's, and that's, yeah. 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 So what I'm basically saying is like, yeah, it's, it is a duality. It's uh, it's something, but even that needs to be accepted. Like some days. And I also know this personally about myself, like I'm very hard on myself Mm -hmm. and I get, I get in the shame cycle if I don't have my routine. So for, so I'm speaking totally personally too. like Daniel, you're in a different place, Ron, you're in a different place, but um, 
but yeah, so I, I think what I have learned though, is that I'm healthiest when I can accept that both of those like versions of me coexist. Like they are, they're both me. And some days I stick to my plan and I'm great about my routine and I need certain routines, but then other days, um, like I need to really release and I really need to like, let come what comes and let go what goes and, mm-hmm. and, and play more of that side of, of, of things. But yeah, I think yeah. if you, if a person doesn't, if a person wants to change, and this is just what I think, I'm still learning a lot about this. Me too. <laughs> person who wants to change. You, I think that part of that process is you're going to be doing things that part of you or all of you doesn't want to do a lot. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, yeah. what I was thinking, but when both of you were talking is, is the vast majority of, of population doesn't do what they want to do so much so that they lose their desire yeah and, and they lose their direction effort and discipline's too much their their passions are too much and so they live in this like this terrible ping pong battlefield of being bounced oh if i find a routine i'll change and they make it seven days three days oh if i and then they bounce over the other side looking for comfort and so they bounce into numbing out they bounce it and then they bounce out of that and, and the saddest part about that is like that's that's normal. That's our normal Western way of living at this yeah, point. Yeah, we're addicted to it. Totally. Full on. And and there's a reason, you know, people a thousand years ago would run off into the desert to try to find the answer because it's even then I'm sure it was going on. And and now that we're in this this um modern age, we need those like disciplined mystics like Jocko and like David Goggins. We need them to give us an example. We're not all, we're not all going to go run um, 250 miles at a time, but a lot of us can get up at 6 a.m. instead of 8 a.m. Or a lot of us could get up at 5:30. A lot of us can. My wife and I have been in this fun habit this last two three weeks of waking up five ish. It's not a hard five. It's five ish, and filling up our our uh, 16 ounce cup of uh, with coffee. And putting in five to eight miles of real low-key walking. <laughs> like just super low-key going for a walk at dawn. And and it's a time for us to to move our bodies, you know, to have a conversation, have shoulder to shoulder time, to be on a little bit of a date, share about what's going. We run a business together, talk about our business. And then the, and we get home at eight o'clock. It's like, oh, we got a lot of shit done today. And it's like, you know, a little bit of the, I'm not repping out 20 sets of, pull, you know, 20 pull-ups at a time or anything like that. It's just a yeah. very simple thing. And we were talking about mm-hmm. it when we first started, like if we could do this into our seventies or eighties, like that's going to be badass. Oh, yeah. just continuing to walk, right? Like just that really simple thing. But it's also that time where we, we met it, we stop, we sit somewhere beautiful. I set a little timer on my phone for 10 minutes. And we go through a series of gratitude meditations and, and other things like that. So it's, it's all together. Anyway, it's accessible for yeah. the normal people like myself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've been on, we've been on for uh, almost an hour and a half and I'll let you go back to your family or back to your split for whatever you need to get back to. <laughs> back to <laughs> they the, still use going, that word? getting split? my, I haven't uh, heard that word in a long time. Burrito for Cinco de Mayo. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Totally. 
Uh, I think they still use it. Yeah, I don't have spliffs, but I don't smoke tobacco. But is that what that is a spliff? Is it is the cigarette? Yeah, the thing? it's like a, it's tobacco mixed with uh, with weed. Man, I haven't had one of those since, since high school, my mid twenties. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Well, this is fun. Thank you guys again for for having me on. I I really appreciate it and love what you guys are doing. Yeah. Same, man. uh, Let us know anytime we can be of service to you. And uh, we hope to have you on again sometime. Yeah, that would be fun. Cool. Thanks, guys. All right, man. Take care. See ya. We're in the field dressing for Cutting for Sign episode today with Brandon Perkins. Our, Get in there, man. You look like half face. Our co-host. Or the host. The host of uh, High Church. A great High podcast. Church. High Church. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was an interesting conversation. I was glad that it was down to flow through uh, several different subjects. We covered <laughs> a lot. porn. A lot of from, from porn to self-acceptance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. What did you think of a couple of Christian dudes talking about pornography? <laughs> uh, well, I am glad that you are both interested in taking the taboo out of it. Yeah. And I believe that I don't think that porn is inherently bad. You know, I think that people that are doing it and creating it need to treat each other respectfully and be paid well and have everything be extremely consensual and if all of that is done then i don't have a problem with it personally i then also think that the people who are consuming it need to do it mindfully you know yeah and uh and that if if all those boxes are checked then i I, it's just as with any most things right right you know i mean anyways that and then you you all being christian and or you know christianish christianish or whatever <laughs> you, you are you yeah. know um you know it's just nice to hear a mature discussion about it honestly yeah yeah i think so too yeah it's what it's a really fun thing to get to detabulize detabu yeah instead of word inside the the christian circles i come from and to talk about well morgan and i are on a panel um gosh a few months ago and we talked just about all the kind of sexual taboos yeah norms that were coming out of now as uh, people of faith and what we get to walk into which is which is acceptance which is love which is healing journey which is consent you know a consciousness yeah um and that is that's powerful super powerful yeah i mean I think any things that are easily abused or in which people yeah. are abused yeah. are easy to just like stamp as bad or wrong sure. and sure. peeling those labels off and, you know, normalizing, having uh, uh, mature discussions around them, inclusive discussions. Yeah. Uh, more, 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 more. Oh please. boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was pretty cool, Ron. Good. And then just the conversation, I'll let you do it. And then just the conversation in general around, um, you know, emotions and how to, you know, relate to them. Yeah. I, I just don't think, it's, I don't think there's many things that can be, that are better to be talking about right now. Where are you landing on right now with your emotions? Like, are, cause you, cause we went through a couple different phases in that conversation where you're like, are my emotions, this is the question you're kind of asking, are my emotions, um, 
are they dictated by my nervous system or does my nervous system dictate them? And what's the relationship between those two things? Yeah. I mean, I was, yeah, I was trying to work that out. So do my emotions express themselves through a nervous system or does something hit my nervous system and then cause emotions? Right. Probably a little from column A and B. I don't know. I'm not a physiologist, (laughs) physiology. Um, You know, it's not my my, uh, forte and I don't even have a lot of pseudoscience, you know, exposure to it. I, I, I have my intuition and my experience. And I would say that it could probably go both ways. Um, but I tend to be in my head more and radiate outward. So the former mm. sounds more like mm. like me. I just wonder if, like what you were saying, you can trigger the nervous system, like with cold water, like with jujitsu, like with anything that would attack your body, and then use the mind that is not emotionally triggered mm-hmm. necessarily to calm that, that uh, nervous system. I think there's a lot of value there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but i also wondered this if you're in a jujitsu hold are you emotional and that's why your emotion your you know your nervous system say if you're getting hit with cold water is it like you're feeling like you're threatened and you're going to die and that's why you're i I don't know i don't know how to split the nervous system and the emotions i suspect they're more one and the same than we think yeah that's a good question that's a really good question I know in my early days of all martial arts, it was very easy to get emotional when I was getting gassed. I remember that. Or beat beat up, (laughs) right? Yeah. And and in my jiu-jitsu world too, in the little time I spent there, it's easy to get emotional when when you don't know what's going on and how to react and and you lose your skill levels or your fitness levels or something like that. Yeah. And and I would, you know, I I just spent uh, the weekend alone essentially hiking anywhere between 10 and 15 miles a day on my own in this uh, super high elevation wilderness in eastern oregon i got lost way lost off i was i was about a half mile off of a trail that's big slope scary i was fighting the emotions of fear yeah and i and i stopped myself and i just looked around this big what they call a bench, which is essentially a little plateau on a, on a big slope. And I just started cutting for sign. Like I literally was looking for game trails. I was looking for the things that tell me I'm on the right path. And I started laughing because like about 20 yards in front of me was a log that had fallen. And I'm, and I'm miles and miles and miles from a, of a, ro- from a road, but the log had been cut. Why did have the log been cut? for a path to go through it. Well, the path was so old, you couldn't see the path anymore. But you could see the logs going down the mountainside that had been cut for the trail to go through it. And then you could see the trees next to them that had been blazed. We used to put it, it looked like an eye, a little line with a dot above it. Yeah. And I started laughing to myself because I thought, oh, I thought I was lost. I'm actually on the, tr- I'm actually on the path right now. See, that- that's interesting outside of just like a metaphor for, you know, what, yeah. what's going on. Yeah. Uh, really, that would be an example, I would say, in your thoughts causing the situation. Right. Because, the, you know, separating your like nervous system body to your emotions, to your thoughts, and then I would throw beliefs in there too. Those are all mm. separate things. And yeah. for me, knowing what each of those, one of those things are helps me be healthy helps yeah. me manage if one is causing problems and you know in that situation 
you could be on that, you could be in the woods and you can just change the label to of in your head to I know exactly where I'm at, which we've all been in woods that look like they're in the middle of fucking nowhere. Yeah. And they're not. We know right where we yeah. are. But in that moment, you knew mentally you didn't know where you were. Yeah. And so that's a thought that's causing an emotion that's being expressed through your nervous system. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Whereas you're in your um, shower and you blast yourself with cold water, you know you're safe. Yeah. But your body's freaking out. Yeah. Which maybe then would cause emotions. And I think that beliefs are important too. Someone can be talking to you. What they say goes against a belief. Mm -hmm. Maybe that feels threatening. Now you have an emotion. So then it was like words hit a belief, creates thoughts and emotions. I just think that it's part of like emotional awareness, emotional sobriety, emotional intelligence, which I am very new to, but value very much is finding a way to understand your body and the different things that might be going on. I'm not saying what I just said is the way it's going on in everybody. It's certainly the way that I deconstruct it. I think it's some, I think everybody's experiencing on some level. It's almost like you have your, your um, piles of different things. you you have your emotional column. You have your physiology column, your you know your nervous system, you have your emotions column, and each one has its own amount that it's been running your life in, yeah. or level it's been running it, your life in. And so you're getting a combination of those things, and everyone's right. combos are a little bit different. Right, and, and the awareness around it's kind of funny, too. I laugh because there's a friend of mine I visited recently, and <laughs> I don't see this person very often, but they're uh, just uh, one of my like yeah. fave people, you know? and um, and we were talking about, I'm, I'm like, I like to talk about my emotions, you yeah. know, it's like a big value of mine. Um, and he doesn't. And, <laughs> uh, and he made a crack. He's a really funny person. He's actually coming on the podcast soon. And he goes, I don't know how I feel. Like, <laughs> he doesn't know. And I realized and we teased it out a little yeah, bit. Yeah. And like when he experiences anxiety, he has no idea he's experiencing anxiety. What is this feeling? <laughs> right. And it's like, oh, the and the dials seemed like it was turned down on it too. Yeah. You know? Whereas I think my sensitivity to my emotions is like pretty high. Right. And so just like realizing also that we have different abilities to feel all our own emotions, let alone recognize what they are, let right. alone trace them back to their issues yeah, it's like funny. oh my god that's funny it, i mean it feels i mean i think in our in our more aware world of 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 mental health many of us are reconnecting to all those things we just talked about i think so too and and yet a lot of us are like i don't even have the bandwidth to begin to think about these things yeah and I want to say that's okay too. Of course it <laughs> if is. That's what you're coming from. That's okay too. To some people, it they, yeah. it seems like it's just not like valuable, or it's yeah. it's too in your head, or it's thinking too much. Like I respect that. It's just I think that in general, what I've observed, the more that I've reflected on my emotions and uh, learned to understand them, eventually learned to actually affect them and communicate them with my thoughts. Yeah. You know, the the my well being is gradually getting better even if i take steps back like sometimes significant steps back that's so good but i think it's a valuable thing i'm glad we were able to bang these out today yeah Uh, a couple of good podcasts super good got another one coming up more coming up this week thanks everybody for joining us see you next time